welcome to the July 23rd Liberation Station. This is your host, Chris Steiner. The call-in number is here in Pinellas, 727-441-3000. In Pinellas County, the phone number is 727-441-3000. Toll-free, 866-826-1340. And the all-tell-free call is star 1340. Welcome uh, to Liberation Station, and uh, here uh, we have joining us in the studio with Dennis once again. How are you, Dennis? Oh, great. Hey, uh, hello out there to all you uh, folks in listening land. Uh, we actually have a special treat for you tonight. We found, uh, thanks to uh, a program recently by Pastor Butch Paw, he was actually playing a clip from uh, the Alex Jones program that Alex had found, or somebody in Alex's staff had found, and that clip was a 1979 Chris Wallace special on CBS, and it was reviewing the results of the 1976 uh, swine flu immunization at that point. So um, The mandatory immunization. The mandatory immunization. They were going to try and immunize everyone in the United States. However, mm. after the results, and uh, I think what I will do is I'll let the clip speak for itself. This clip is about nine minutes. Uh, is it ready to go? So uh, at that point, we'll, uh, we'll let it go. The flu season is upon us. Which type will we worry about this year? And what kind of shots will we be told to take? Remember the swine flu scare of 1976? That was the year the U.S. government told us all that swine flu could turn out to be a killer that could spread across the nation. And Washington decided that every man, woman, and child in the nation should get a shot to prevent a nationwide outbreak, a pandemic. Well, 46 million of us obediently took the shot. And now 4,000 Americans are claiming damages from Uncle Sam amounting to three and a half billion dollars because of what happened when they took that shot. By far the greatest number of the claims, two-thirds of them, are for neurological damage or even death, allegedly triggered by the flu shot. We pick up the story back in 1976 when the threat posed by the swine flu virus seemed very real indeed. This virus was the cause of a pandemic in 1918 and 1919 that resulted in over half a million deaths in the United States, as well as 20 million deaths around the world. See how easy it is to Thus, the U.S. government's publicity machine was cranked into action to urge all America to protect itself against the swine flu menace. Influenza is serious business. During major flu epidemics, millions of people are sick and thousands die. Well, this year you can get protection. The vaccines are safe, easy to take, and they can protect you against flu. So roll up your sleeve. Protect yourself. One of those who did roll up her sleeve was Judy Roberts. She was perfectly healthy, an active woman, when in November of 1976, she took her shot. Two weeks later, she says, she began to feel a numbness starting up her legs. I joked about it at that time. I said, I'll be numb to the knees by Friday if this keeps up. By the following week, I was totally paralyzed. So completely paralyzed, in fact, that they had to operate on her to enable her to breathe. And for six months, Judy Roberts was a quadriplegic. The diagnosis? A neurological disorder called Guillain-Barre syndrome, GBS for short. These neurological diseases are little understood. They affect people in different ways. As you can see in these home movies taken by a friend, Judy Roberts' paralysis confined her mostly to a wheelchair for over a year. 
but this disease can even kill. Indeed, there are 300 claims now pending from the families of GBS victims who died, allegedly as a result of the swine flu shot. In other GBS victims, the crippling effects diminish and all but disappear. But for Judy Roberts, progress back to good health has been painful and partial. Now, I notice that your smile, Judy, is a little bit constricted. Yes, it is. Is it different from what it used to be? Very different. I have uh, a greatly decreased mobility in my lips. And uh, I can't drink through a straw on the right-hand side. I can't blow out birthday candles. Uh, I don't whistle anymore, for which my husband is grateful. It may be a little difficult for you to answer this question, but have you recovered as much as you are going to recover? Yes. This, this is it. So you will now have a legacy of braces on your legs for the rest of your life? Yes. The weakness in my hands will stay and the leg braces will stay. So Judy Roberts and her husband have filed a claim against the U.S. government. They're asking $12 million, though they don't expect to get nearly that much. Judy, why did you take the flu shot? I'd never taken any other flu shots, but I felt like this was going to be a major epidemic. And the only way to prevent a major epidemic of a, a really deadly variety of flu was for everybody to be immunized. Where did this so-called deadly variety of flu, where did it first hit back in 1976? It began right here at Fort Dix in New Jersey in January of that year when a number of recruits began to complain of respiratory ailments, something like the common cold. An army doctor here sent samples of their throat cultures to the New Jersey Public Health Lab to find out just what kind of bug was going around here. One of those samples was from a Private David Lewis who had left his sickbed to go on a forced march. Private Lewis had collapsed on that march, and his sergeant had revived him by mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. But the sergeant showed no signs of illness. A few days later, Private Lewis died. If this disease is so potentially fatal that it's going to kill a young, healthy man, a middle-aged schoolteacher doesn't have a prayer. The New Jersey lab identified most of those soldiers' throat cultures as the normal kind of flu virus going around that year, but they could not make out what kind of virus was in the culture from the dead soldier and from four others who were sick. So they sent those cultures to the Federal Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, Georgia, for further study. A few days later, they got the verdict, swine flu. But that much publicized outbreak of swine flu at Fort Dix involved only Private Lewis, who died, and those four other soldiers who recovered completely without the swine flu shot. If I had known at that time that the boy had been in a sickbed, got up, went out on a forced march, and then collapsed and died, I would never have taken a shot. The rationale for our recommendation was not on the basis of the death of uh, a single individual but it was on the basis that when we do see a change in the characteristics of the influenza virus, it is a massive uh, public health problem in this country. Dr. David Sensor, then head of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, is now in private industry. He devised the swine flu program and he pushed it. You began to give flu shots to the American people in October of 76. October 1st. By that time, how many cases of swine flu around the world had been reported. There had been uh, several reported, but none confirmed. There had been cases in uh, uh, Australia that were reported by the press, uh, by the news media. There were cases in... Uh, none confirmed. 
Did you ever uncover any other outbreaks of swine flu anywhere in the world? No. Now, nearly everyone was to receive the shot in a public health facility where a doctor might not be present. Therefore, it was up to the CDC to come up with some kind of official consent form, giving the public all the information it needed about the swine flu shot. This form stated that the swine flu vaccine had been tested. What it didn't say was that after those tests were completed, the scientists developed another vaccine. And that was the one given to most of the 46 million who took the shot. That vaccine was called X53A. Was X53A ever field tested? Uh, I, I can't say I would have to. Uh, it wasn't. I don't know. Well, I would think that you're in charge of the program. I would have to check uh, the records. I haven't uh, looked at this in some time. The information form, the consent form, was also supposed to warn people about any risks of serious complications following the shot. But did it? No, I had never heard of any reactions other than a sore arm, fever, this sort of thing. Judy Roberts' husband, Gene, also took the shot. Yes, I looked at that document. I signed it. Nothing on there said I was going to have a heart attack or I'd get Guillain-Barre, which I never heard of. What if people from the government, from the Center for Disease Control, what if they had indeed known about it, what would be your feeling? They should have told us. Did anyone ever come to you and say, you know something, fellas? There's the possibility of neurological damage if you get into a mass immunization program. No. No one ever did? No. Do you know Michael Hatwick? Yes. Mm -hmm. Dr. Michael Hatwick directed the surveillance team for the swine flu program at the CDC. His job was to find out what possible complications could arise from taking the shot and to report his findings to those in charge. Did you know ahead of time, Dr. Hatwick, that there had been case reports of neurological disorders, neurological illness, apparently associated with the injection of influenza vaccine? Absolutely. You did? Yes. How'd you know that? By review of the literature. So you told your superiors, the men in charge of the swine flu immunization program, about the possibility of neurological disorders? Absolutely. What would you say if I told you that your superiors say that you never told them about the possibility of neurological complications? That's nonsense. I can't believe that they would say that they did not know that there were neurological illnesses associated with influenza vaccination. That simply is not true. We did know that. I've said that Dr. Hatwick had never told me of uh, his feelings on this subject. Uh, and he's lying. I guess you would have to um, make that assumption. Then why does this report from your own agency, dated July 1976, list neurological complications as a possibility? I think the... Uh, consensus of uh, the scientific community was that the evidence relating neurologic disorders to influenza immunization uh, was such that they did not feel that this association was a real one. You didn't feel it was necessary to tell the people that information? Uh, I think that uh, over the, the years we have tried to inform the American people as, as fully as possible. As part of informing Americans about the swine flu threat, Dr. Sensor's CDC also helped create the advertising to get the public to take the shot. Let me read to you from one of your own agency's 
memos planning the campaign to urge Americans to take the shot. The swine flu vaccine has been taken by many important persons, he wrote. Example, President Ford, Henry Kissinger, Elton John, Muhammad Ali, Mary Tyler Moore, Rudolf Nureyev, Walter Cronkite, Ralph Nader, Edward Kennedy, etc., etc. True? Uh, I'm not familiar with that particular piece of paper, uh, but I do know that at least of that group, President Ford did take the vaccination. Did you talk to these people beforehand to find out if they planned to take the shot? I did not know. Did anybody? I do not know. Did you get permission to use their names in your campaign? I do not know. Mary, did you take a swine flu shot? No, I did not. Did you give them permission to use your name saying that you had or were going to? Absolutely not. Never did. Did you ask your own doctor about taking the swine flu shot? Yes, and at the time he thought it might be a good idea. Um, but I resisted it because well, I was leery of having the symptoms that sometimes go with that kind of inoculation. So you didn't? No, I didn't. Have you spoken to your doctor since? Yes. And? He's delighted that I didn't take that shot. You're in charge. Somebody's in charge. There are... This is your advertising strategy that I have a copy of here. Who's it signed by? This one is unsigned. But you, you'll acknowledge that it was your baby, so to speak. It uh, could have been from the uh, Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. It could be from CDC. I don't know. I'll be happy to take uh, responsibility for it. It's been three years now since you fell ill with GBS, right? Right. Has the federal government, in your estimation, played fair with you about your claim? No, I don't think so. Uh, it seems to be dragging on and on and on. And really, no end in sight that I can see at this point. With respect to the cases of Guillaume Barre, allegedly... Former Secretary of HEW, okay, Joseph folks, Calabano, uh, too. Was we were just uh, wanting no you folks to all have a chance to hear what they actually presented in 1979 as a result of the 1976 so-called flu epidemic. What I particularly enjoy about that vi that video clip, this is actually a video clip, and it was Mike Wallace on CBS uh, 60 Minutes, I think it was called at the time. What I enjoyed was the fact that they asked the, quote, experts, well, didn't you know these shots would cause all these neurological problems? And the Official for the government said, well, no, I was never told. But then when they asked the person, the doctor who was responsible for presenting this information to his superiors, he was kind of stunned that, well, of course they knew. I told them. So you have two different stories going on there. But also it was halted that they were, they were going to try and force everyone. But because of the results, they decided to say, okay, we better not do that. Now, from that, um, we'll go to some other uh, interesting stories we've seen recently in the news here. Uh, first one is from the BBC's website, and there's an article up here I was looking at where they flu infects 100,000 in the past week. What I find real curious is we don't really see any proof of that, just them saying it. Well, okay. Well, well who's a, who is this according to? And, yeah. And by the way, you're listening to Liberation Station. If you just tuned in, uh, we're here in uh, Pinellas County. If you'd like to call in on on these or uh, other subjects, we'll get into here in uh, Pinellas is seven two seven four four one three thousand toll free eight six six eight two six thirteen forty, and uh, the website is www.liberationstation. 
liberationweebly.com and we'll get rid of that Weebly pretty soon here, trust me. Uh, but for now, it's liberationstation.weebly, spelled W-E-E-B as in boy, L-Y.com. There are two dots in there. And, uh, and uh, we're going to get into uh, this hour, later this hour, and well into the next hour. Uh, we'll be talking and uh, playing some of the, uh, talking about and playing some of the clips of um, what's been going on in Congress, on the floors of Congress in the last uh, two or three days, the different congressmen who have been grilling the former Treasury Secretary Paulson, the worm making him squirm, and uh, <laughs> the worm that he is, and also Bernanke making him squirm as well, uh, although not quite as um, visibly, but uh, they're both spinning the same PR. But uh, we'll be playing uh, five or six clips uh, regarding that and um, and Obama's uh, can- uh, candidate Obama being questioned about the Federal Reserve also from uh, last year in 2008. But uh, continuing now, Dennis, you're, you're mentioning the um, this, ar- this BBC article, Flu Infects 100,000 in Past Week. Uh, by uh, Nick Triggle, and uh, that was just uh, what, what date was that? Uh, well, did mm, you today? There it is July twenty third. All okay. right. Now it's uh, that was posted twenty two twenty two GMT, which is Greenwich Mean Time. What I was getting out of this uh, article here is what I find the most interesting. Rather, is that they seem to be focusing on the hype. Uh, they're getting too many calls in the last few hours. The website's receiving 2,600 hits per second, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They're focusing right now on the hype, and they're trying to hype this up. They want to get people everywhere, and obviously they're aware that people from around the world are paying attention to their website. And I'm sure if we played the clip on there, we'd get something along that lines because they're, they're having somebody from Whitehall. Uh, and... There's very little statistics of actual cause of infection. What you have is they're they're basically stating, oh, well, all of these people are infected. Well, wait a minute. How do we know for certain that that's what, what's the, what is the criteria they use to determine who is infected with what? All we see right now are them stating, oh, this is what we are seeing. Well, okay, prove it. I want to see some proof. I want to see what is your criteria for determining that this or that person has this infection. What is their mark? What's the genetic? Show us the genetic markers, etc. They're saying that certain people have died. Well, people can die of many things if there could be mitigating circumstances, etc. They have all sorts of statistics up there, but very little in the way of actual proof. So I, I just I'm calling that into question. That's my gist here. Well, the the question is who's testing for this flu and uh, who's allowed to administer it. The, exactly. the World Health Organization, yeah. and uh, it's not a, it's not the the type. Why why isn't the World Health Organization trusting um, just uh, the local medical doctor or local clinic to mm-hmm. to test um, to test for this? So I mean, well, why do they? Uh, why are they insisting on being the only ones who issue these numbers? Uh, you know, it's like they're unaccountable, just like the uh, Federal Reserve. But that's another. Well, that's going to be another issue that we'll be talking about. But you know, the thing is that uh, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we can test for all. Uh, a local clinic can test even your your local um, walk-in clinic or uh, or um, free clinic can can mm-hmm. test for all sorts of deadly diseases and and uh, and at the same time, this is hardly deadly, and they're not allowed to administer that test. True, and another uh, point to consider uh, when considering the 
the WHO, you know, World Health Organization, they're Doctor Who. Well, people in England are familiar with the concept of Doctor Who. It's this good doctor who goes around traveling through time and space and saving everybody. And I think what they're trying to play off on that is just to get some... Alan Watt had actually mentioned in one of his discussions that um, they're using that, uh, the psychological fix, to try and get people to see the World Health Organization as the, the larger personification of the Doctor Who concept. Like a metaphor of a futuristic exactly. deity who's going to swoop down. and you know, They're going to come and save us. Mm-hmm. And they're our salvation. You know, this false god. Uh, so, that another couple of articles I want to point out to some folks real quick. Uh, uh, recent articles oh, yes. uh, was linked to uh, from uh, this was linked to from Prison Planet. This is actually from uh, World Press TV. Uh, basically, uh, article here about high fructose corn syrup uh, diets may impair memory. So that's being admitted to. There's an actual article there. People high can, fructose diets impair memory on uh, press t- uh, press TV dot ir, mm-hmm. which is a Iranian based news. But um, they come they break a lot of great stories. So what does that say about um? Uh, what kind of a memory does it impair? Because I've uh, been hearing about this lately. Um, insulin insensitivity, type 2 diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease, I f- use, f- fruit, uh, use, sorry, let me try that again. Type 2 diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease following the use of fructose and sweeteners commonly found in table sugar, fruit juice concentrates, and high fructose corn syrup. Uh, according to a study in Georgia State University, high fructose intake can also impair memory in consumers. It, however, does not influence an individual's ability to learn. Well, if you can't remember, then I think it actually does influence your memory. Uh, <laughs> unlike glucose, high levels of triglycerides are produced during it. And it goes on and on, talks about it in a scientific uh, analysis there. Yeah, how fructose is uh, digested in a way that your body doesn't uh, have the same insulin response. And, oh, by the way, about 50% of it recently has been found to be contaminated with a heavy metal mercury. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason to not uh, con- consume it if you see it on the on the label in the supermarket. Fructose or high fructose corn syrup uh, is really toxic or bad. <clears throat> bad stuff for all sorts of reasons. Right. I think what it, uh, the type of memory it actually impairs is actually short-term memory because I know until I had learned about the dangers of this garbage, I myself, much like many others in the in the dark, didn't stop to bother to worry about the high, anything with high fructose corn syrup per se. And, and any time I had memory problems, I would try to commit everything to long-term memory. So... From my own experience and that around me, I would say it's short-term memory that it affects. And I, I remember it said uh, uh, someone else said spatial memory, and uh, mm-hmm. he's an animator for Lost uh, and a former animator for um, hmm. for Star Trek and uh, some other sci-fi movies. Mike Rivero of What Really Happened dot com. And uh, he was saying how it really improved his ability to visualize. When he closes his eyes, he has to visualize. What he's uh, conce- he has to can be able to conceive and and put into a computer um, what he's seeing. So uh, it really improved when when he and his wife he said uh, quit his uh, quit the high fructose corn syrup or made a concerted effort because it's in so many different products it's really nearly impossible to avoid. So the the main thing to go for I guess is some other kind of a sweetener, uh, whether it's allowed by the F- FDA to be called a sweetener, such as uh, things that aren't um, allowed to be called sweeteners like uh, stevia or xylitol or uh, 
uh, even though they taste sweet, but um, to most people or, or certain other things. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, high fructose corn syrup definitely is to be avoided. It's difficult though because they try to put it in just about everything. I mean, try go to going to any grocery store, just your Publix or Shaw's if you're up in the Northeast or um, Winn Dixie, wherever. Most of the packaged goods are going to be riddled with high fructose corn syrup, or it'll say fructose or corn syrup. There's different uh, labels used, but it's all the same garbage. It might be a varying degree, but it's still garbage. Uh, another article I wanted to bring out regarding health is, uh, and I heard this discussed recently on the Power Hour with uh, Joyce Riley was mentioning this, and that is curcumin may prevent breast cancer in women who took hormones. And there's an article here about the specifics of uh, if, if women have been um, given hormone replacement therapy for treatment of the symptoms of menopause, this curcumin, which is a, it's basically the one of the, uh, would you call it a vitamin found in tur- turmeric? Uh, it's a constituent, um, the the you know the main anti-inflammatory and antiviral mm-hmm. constituent of turmeric. But uh, I think it's uh, yeah, curcumin is the extract. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but I'm not sure whether it's classified as a constituent element or a vitamin found within. I'm still a little fuzzy on that part. Must be all that. High fructose stuff in my past. <laughs> yeah, I can take some more turmeric, clear that out. That's it. Um, it. The article in question, though, is uh, from naturalnews.com. It's a printable article, and it's from July 22nd. It was originally published. And I know I sent this to some friends and family uh, just recently after having seen it. And... Got a few responses back saying, hey, thanks for telling me about that. Um, Good to know. Almost jokingly, I'm hoping people take it more serious because I actually know, uh, let's see, I have one or two relatives and friends of friends that where there are women who've had problems with breast cancer. So, and it's becoming all too common. Where years past, it was so rare you know you didn't hear about it and except oh that's breast this person over there has a relative that had cancer and well now it's you're bound to have someone in your family that had it or your office or circle of friends it's just amazing yeah. I mean, and uh i've i took i took uh i take this i took this one time just before um well, I'll say I took it on an empty stomach just before uh, going into an, an office setting and What's that? uh uh, this uh, turmeric or this oh. uh, this uh, the curcumin extra the turmeric extract called curcumin, and it was a very potent extract. I thought I had eaten enough, but apparently not because I started getting lightheaded and turning pale and dizzy. Well, it says to not take it on an empty stomach, so I really oh. didn't uh, take that advice as seriously as I should have. But um, yeah, it made me very ill, and then it uh, really just uh, knocked me out, made me have to take a nap. Um, leave immediately go home and, and sleep it off for about three or four hours and uh it seemed it, 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 people thought that i had uh, you know i was drinking early in the morning or something <laughs> but but no i mean it, it really didn't make me uh, behave um like i was intoxicated other than just i was sick and i was pale and dizzy uh but uh yeah that's just a warning to everybody that i, I think everybody ought to anybody who takes it ought to make sure they have uh, take take it on a full stomach because some of these herbs are extremely powerful and, and this one is one of them 
Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a powerful, uh, like you said, uh, anti-inflammatory, and it has other medicinal uh, positive uh, effects that people want to mm-hmm. consider. I mean, obviously, any anything you take, you definitely any any medicine, any remedy you take, you have to at least look into the pros and cons before you do anything. You don't want to simply take something thinking, oh, well, this is a great cure. Oh, if I eat a pound of this or something, you know, it'll do well. You know, some people might be tempted to do that. So, you know, obviously, you know, look into it and find out what's good or bad about it. So, uh-huh. right. And, and exactly right. Because, uh, there's so many interactions and contraindications if people just mm-hmm. do a, um, a web search of whatever they're taking, uh, at least themselves, if they, you know, don't, at least if they don't have a doctor to consult, uh, the, it might be advised, might um, <clears throat> might be encouraged for people to do their own research and uh, vet their own information. That's quite a revolutionary thought, I know. But uh, if somebody does a, a Google or a web search of uh, con- the words contraindication or interaction with uh, whatever they're taking and whatever they're considering taking, there are quite a few. And um, and by the way, the, speaking of the properties of curcumin, turmeric extract or the antiviral, it's antibacterial. It's very antiseptic. It's mm-hmm. even anti-HIV. There are a lot of studies that uh, say that. And um, antifungal, uh, of course, anti-inflammatory, which uh, a lot of diseases um, have cause an inflammatory response as a natural part of the immune response. And and uh, and speaking of the flu. Um, Curcumin is also proven effective against that. That's viral, uh, and uh, the, the main um, the main issue with the flu, it seems, if these various strains of flu, are that it um, causes a uh, an immune response in the healthy. So uh, people with a strong immune system will have a strong immune response, and that's really the cause of death in uh, the the hemorrhagic fever that's caused, the hemorrhaging, the internal bleeding that's caused by the extreme inflammatory response uh, as part of the immune response to the virus, not the virus itself that, that kills the person, but it's the inflammatory response in healthy people with a strong immune system. So uh, the point is that um, this hemorrhagic fever can be... Um, can be uh, treated, uh, the clinical studies say, by the uh, supplement colostrum that I talked about last week. Colostrum spelled C-O-L-O-S-T-R-U-M. And uh, I spoke about that for a few minutes last week. If you want to check the archives uh, as to the uh, other conditions and diseases that it's good at uh, treating and curing, according to the clinical studies. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, fulvic acid is, is also proven effective against the hemorrhagic fever. So those are two supplements I know that uh, if you want to stock up for uh, this biological warfare, I believe, that's being conducted on us. And I have stories on my website to talk that talk about that. And uh, if we had more time, uh, we'll talk about that, uh, how it apparently was made in a lab uh, we can talk about that in, in more in future shows in depth but um, yeah sure we'll have time for that as, the, as we go into the fall and we start seeing whatever they're going to throw at us Mm-hmm. Yeah, just in time for the flu shot season. But if you're, just for this biological, uh, just to make the points again for the, the biological preparedness or biological warfare preparedness, uh, you want to get fulvic, things like fulvic acid and colostrum. Uh, well, I, I know I do, and um, I'm speaking for myself. And then uh, uh, maybe uh, if there's radiological warfare, something like potassium iodine or potassium iodate, uh, which is even better to protect the thyroid uh, from the uh, uptake of radioactive iodine if you're ever exposed mm-hmm. to some. So. 
Just want to make those points for the uh, individual to let them know that there is a, there is a, a way to protect ourselves, and we're quite able to um, biologically protect ourselves from uh, such hazards in, in life. Uh, while we're on the topic of what's good to help uh, with the flu and uh, prevention and or, well, not necessarily cure, but prevention and uh, recovery, uh, one of the guests that Joyce had on the Power Hour this week, I forget the na- man's name, he's from England, uh, he mentioned that selenium is an important um mineral that you need to have in your body but it has again it has to be an ionic form in your body what he mentioned during his uh, interview by joyce was that uh there's one particular element in these vaccines that's going to remove selenium from the body do you know what that is would it be uh, some heavy metal cadmium no oh gosh i missed it mercury Mercury. Oh, I was mercury, thinking that's a calcium. Uh, mercury binds to selenium and takes it right out of the body. Uh, now, that's not ob- obviously it's not going to take all of the mercury out, but selenium, if it in the presence of mercury, would be removed from the body. Now, there's other concerns, and if you try to get a supplement, you definitely have to educate yourself about those. But that is another potential supplement. And he did during that interview, he did mention some cautions about some bad forms that can actually contribute towards or the cancers. like the sodium selenite or the yeah. selenomethionine or the also known as a selenium amino acid chelate right and uh, so that's uh, used as um imaging agents for radiological imaging but uh, mm-hmm. now this was um i think the product you're you talking about is grown by nature right and, uh-huh, and uh, that's on the, at thepowermall.com um, if you want to check that out. But right. you're saying that uh, the, the sol- he said that selenium binds with mercury to chelate or flush it out of the body? No, he said that in the, the, the vaccines being rich in mercury, and this is why they were put— this, he said that he believed that the reason they put the mercury in the vaccines is that it basically takes your selenium out of your body, and when they do, it makes you susceptible to the flu symptoms. So— Wow, that's amazing. Well, we'll talk more about that and get into the Federal Reserve and uh, former Treasury Secretary, for Federal Reserve Sec, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman and Fed Secretary, uh, <laughs> Treasury Secretary being uh, grilled this pat these past three days on the floors of Congress. This is Liberation Station. Please stay tuned. This is Wayne Walton with the RedPillRadio.com. Our constitutional republic is under attack by globalist central bankers. During the Katrina tragedy, U.S. citizens were subjected to a gun roundup and a blockade of New Orleans. Unalienable rights given by God were suspended by the globalist George Bush. Oath Keepers is an association of currently serving military veterans and peace officers who will fulfill their oath to the Constitution against all enemies foreign and domestic. Go to OathKeepers.org to reaffirm your oath to the Constitution, not to tyrants. The Federal Reserve is the private banking cartel, which is in charge of the U.S. monetary system. Listen to Thomas Jefferson as he gives a warning of what this institution will give to the United States of America. If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks, which grow up and around them, will deprive the people of all of their property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Listen weekdays 9 to 10 for more details. 
WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa, St. Petersburg. WDCF, Dade City, Zephyr Hills, Wesley Chapel. CNN Radio, I'm Paul Chambers. Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid says no vote on health care reform before the summer recess. CNN's Lisa Desjardins reports the president's number one issue is going to take a while. Senate leaders say they won't take their first votes on health care until after their August break. So now the spotlight's on the House. We will take the bill to the floor when it is ready. Speaker Pelosi is still pressing for a House vote before that recess, and she's getting some powerful help. White House Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel met with her and a group of swing Democrats called Blue Dogs at the Capitol. Those Blue Dogs are worried about the cost of health care. They all left the meeting with no comment. But in the House, the health care pressure is on. Lisa Desjardins, CNN, Capitol Hill. Microsoft sales are down sharply. The software giant blamed weakness in the global PC and server markets. Fourth quarter sales down by 17%. A New York man is accused of trying to broker the sale of human kidneys. Federal prosecutor Ralph Morris says the suspect was caught in a sting operation. His business was to entice vulnerable people to give up a kidney for $10,000, which he in turn would, would turn around and sell for $160,000. Mara says the suspect lives in Brooklyn and is not a licensed physician or medical professional. A recall of a romaine lettuce has been expanded to all 50 states and Canada. The California produce labeled Tanamurin Antle has tested positive for salmonella. It's baseball's first perfect game in five years. Chicago pitcher Mark Burley almost lost his bid to a long ball hit by Tampa Bay's Gabe Kapler. I was hoping it was staying in here to give him enough room to catch. I mean, I know he's got Guys are out there trying to trying to do everything they can to, to try to save the perfect game, no hitter, whatever it is. So I was just hoping it didn't have enough distance to get out of here. It's the second no hitter of Burley's career. The most trusted name in news. This is CNN Radio. The Rays Report with Rich Herrera. The Rays were on the bad side of history on Thursday afternoon as they finished up the four-game set with the Chicago White Sox. Mark Burley took a perfect game into the bottom of the ninth inning. Dwayne Wise turned out to have the play of the game. Swing and a fly ball to the gap in left center field. Wise and put Sednik on the run to the wall. Wise steps up and makes a spectacular catch. Oh, my. The Rays are down to their last out, and Mark Burley is one batter away from history. Now the 2-1. Swing and a ground to the short. This may do it. Ramirez has it. Throws it across, and Mark Burley has done it. Mark Burley throws a perfect game against the Rays. The White Sox win 5-0. The Rays face off with Roy Halladay. Matt Garza takes him out. 6-30 pregame, 7-07 first pitch. Catch the Rays all season long on the Rays radio network. For tickets, log on to RaysBaseball.com. Rays Baseball on WDCF 1350. Have you ever listened to a talk radio show and said, I could do that? Well, you're right. You can right here on the Tantalk Radio Network. Your Tantalk program will include a professional engineer to handle every technical aspect of your program, professional talk and recording studios, four telephone lines to take live call-ins and conduct live interviews, even the ability to do live remote broadcasts. Not only will your program be aired locally in Tampa Bay, you'll be streamed live worldwide across the internet in audio and video. When you sign off, you'll receive an audio CD or MP3 copy of your program, which can be duplicated and distributed. In addition, you can archive and podcast this copy of your program on the internet for download and playback. Ready to explore the exciting world of talk radio? Here's the next step. 
Hey, Tampa Bay, listen up. You can have a one-hour program on the Tantalk Radio Network for less than the cost of one 60-second announcement on many local radio stations. We will put your program on two stations in Tampa Bay, AM 1340 and AM 1350. The cost? Less than a 60-second announcement on many Tampa Bay stations. Get the facts by calling Lola Jean, the broadcast queen, at 727-510-7622. That's 727 area code 510-7622. Call 510-7622 now and reserve your Tan Talk Network program. Now it's easy to spot the good guys. Guys who do such a super job, you'd swear they wore superhero capes. Guys like the AC repairman who isn't full of hot air. The concrete guy who sculpts your driveway like a renaissance master. The movers who wrap your beer can collection like fine china. Introducing the Super Guarantee on superpages.com. We're so confident in these super businesses, we're willing to stand behind their services. The carpet cleaners who give you 70 shags, some much needed groove. And the painters who know that seafoam green is totally different from aqua green. Sign up for free at superpages.com. Then next time, feel good knowing you found a business whose work is backed by the super guarantee. You'll get the job done right, or we'll step in and help to make it right. The super guarantee, only from superpages.com. To use the super guarantee, visit superpages.com today. Find a guaranteed business, then register online. It's easy and free. Complete details of participation in the guarantee program can be found online at superguarantee.com. Tom O'Brien's Daily Market Letter Market Insights has been delivering solid winning trades for investors for the last 10 years. You hear Tom O'Brien every day on the radio, and now you can read his market predictions with trade recommendations, complete with price stops and price targets, each morning with a free two-week trial to Market Insights by visiting TFNN.com. That's two weeks free to Market Insights, published Monday through Friday at 9.30 a.m. by visiting TFNN.com today. The Federal Reserve is the private banking cartel, which is in charge of the U.S. monetary system. Listen to Thomas Jefferson as he gives a warning of what this institution will give to the United States of America. If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks, which grow up and around them, will deprive the people of all of their property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Listen weekdays 9 to 10 for more details. This is Wayne Walton with the redpillradio.com. Our constitutional republic is under attack by globalist central bankers. During the Katrina tragedy, U.S. citizens were subjected to a gun roundup and a blockade of New Orleans. Unalienable rights given by God were suspended by the globalist George Bush. Oath Keepers is an association of currently serving military veterans and peace officers who will fulfill their oath to the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Go to oathkeepers.org to reaffirm your oath to the Constitution, not to tyrants. Welcome back to Liberation Station, July 23rd, 2009. The call-in number is here in Pinellas County, 727-441-3000. Toll-free, 866-826-1340. Website is liberationstation.weebly.com. Weebly is spelled W-E-E-B as in ball, L-Y. 
liberationstation.weebly.com. And believe you me, I'm going to change that pretty soon. I uh, just uh, had other priorities on my mind lately. So uh, we're getting back into the uh, flus, uh, flu season and the flu vaccinations. And will it be mandatory and will there be, uh, will there be legal liability to uh, Big Pharma? Well, apparently so. I'm going to uh, get back into uh, the flu issue and then we're going to talk, uh, cover the uh, Congress people, our honorable congressmen, grilling some of the genocidal maniacs who run the Federal Reserve, like uh, Ben Bernanke and uh, the former chairman, I mean, former uh, Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson. And we'll see how these congressmen make worms like these squirm on the floors of Congress. Uh, there's a air of change that uh, I feel is coming because all, you can see the the very entertaining uh, squirming that these guys do and the PR that they try to spin. But uh, getting back into um, into the flu issue, I'm going to read an article here from uh, attorneyatlaw.com, linked to on my website. And uh, I'm your host, Chris Steiner, here in the studio. By the way, we're back here with Dennis. And uh, so this, uh, this article that uh, Dennis got us started off on, um, this article I'm going to finish up on the issue of, uh, of the uh, parent um, mandatory swine flu vaccinations and how history is repeating itself with the 1976 mandatory vaccinations. This is uh, an article entitled, Don't Even Think About Suing If You're Hurt by Swine Flu Vaccines from attorneyatlaw.com. The shots won't even be available for months, but makers of vaccines designed to guard against outbreaks of the so-called swine flu will be immune from personal injury lawsuits brought on behalf of patients who are injured or killed after getting them. Secretary of Health and Human Services Kathleen Sebelius has granted drug companies immunity from swine flu injuries under provisions of a 2006 law designed to be used in public health emergencies. The legal protection is included in a document Sebelius signed last week, according to government health officials cited in news reports. And there are several, uh, including the Associated Press. Several drug companies are said to be working on developing vaccines to guard against swine flu, and doses are expected to be ready for patients in the next few months. And uh, there is actually a vaccination that uh, is available already, although it's um, uh, not publicly known, apparently. And uh, let me see who, uh, what company did that, um, made that uh, vaccination here. And I have it linked to on my site, but... Um, Probably Baxter. He, well, they, they came out with a uh, patent for their vaccination, but... Um, it could be GlaxoSmithKline. That's another yeah, yeah, I'm trying to... That one's British. Trying to, uh, it was through a, um, it was through with their, they're using uh, fetal tissue. That's how I ought to be searching for it on my website. Yeah, that's it. And uh, Novartis was the one. Mm -hmm. This is a Bloomberg article. Novartis makes first batch of swine flu vaccine ahead of time. That's an article linked to on my website uh, from Bloomberg News dated June 12th, 2009. And uh, uh, Frank, I see you're on the line, and uh, we'll go to you, and we'll continue with this article. Uh, we're talking about the swine flu in uh, just a moment. But uh, swine, um, <laughs> this uh, swine flu vaccination being mandatory is, is on all of our minds. So, uh, Frank, I know you have something to say about it. What's on yours? Hey, Chris and uh, Dennis, how are you guys doing tonight? Great. great thank you. All right. Thanks yeah, I, I do have something to say. And um, uh, the great David Icke um, recently said if there's 
one thing that you do uh, this year, it's don't take that swine flu vaccine. And according to uh, the gal um, who uh, runs the NVIC, the National Vaccine Information Center uh, website, uh, she's warning that they might make it mandatory for school children in October. And uh, I recently got married, and my uh, wife has a daughter who's now my stepdaughter. She's going to be nine, and there is no way I'm going to let her take one of these or the two that they're recommending uh, uh, vaccines. And um, I found out that for the state of Florida, you can, um, as far as I know, get a religious exemption or a medical exemption. I'm still uh, researching if there's a philosophical exemption, but um, for the medical exemption, exemption, and uh, all you people out there listening might want to write this down, what you want is the state form, uh, the blue form, it's uh, DH number 681. Go down to your nearest health department, that uh, evil center of eugenics <laughs> in every uh, county and every state, and request a DH blue form number 681. And with that, you should be able to exempt your child uh, from getting these immunizations. Now, they may be able to keep your child out of school for up to uh, 21 days after the uh, epidemic has been called off, but I'd rather my child be out of school than uh, not be around. Well, if people do that, don't forget they'll also need to make sure they document everything they did, why they did it, because uh, otherwise they could be trying to do some. Um, oh, your student, uh, your daughter, son was tardy for this amount of time. Therefore, uh, right. a truancy officer mm -hmm. and CPS is on your case. You don't want that. Florida is one exactly. of the worst states. Yeah, and that was the other point I was going to bring up. The truancy laws can be exacted if, if that occurs, and if, if so, then you have to formally remove your child from the public school system. And um, after that, I don't know uh, what kind of requirements there are as far as homeschooling goes, but I'm going to find that out and meet those because, once again, I'm not going to have a dead child on my hand uh, from these um, horrible people that want to inject them because they just simply don't care about all the rest of us. And all those adjectants that they add, the, uh, the things that they put in also to supposedly um, weaken the virus, like the squalene and the uh, mercury, thimerosal, and that's uh, in the vaccination unless you specifically ask for it to not be. Most people assume that they took it out. Well, yeah, but uh, that's what they still shoot you up with unless you request otherwise. You have to ask for the, uh, well, excuse me, I'd like the, the one that's without uh, the mercury. I mean, that's if you're going to even ask for it. But, uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. It's like these, these vaccines have so many things in them. One of them's going to get you, you know, if mm -hmm. somehow you're uh, immune from the rest of them. You know, like some people have resistances uh, to certain elements but you're not going to be resistant to all of it. Well, you're not allergic to mercury, are you? <laughs> you know, I remember um, uh, some of my school teachers telling us that when, when they were children in the 50s, they used to play with mercury on their desks. Oh. They used to let that stuff run wild in the schools. The, the teacher would have a, a flask of it in the room just for uh, educational purposes. 
And they also used to give us fluoride washes, at least uh, fluoride rinses, I remember, when I was in elementary school at Oakhurst Elementary in Seminole, Florida. And I was the only one to not take that, thankfully enough, to my to my mother who knew, knew better. I mean, uh, here these kids would be making silly faces for about a minute. Oh, gosh, and their time swish. Okay, now they're, they're done with their fluoride swish, and they're ready to receive more information. I mean, the ones that are still awake. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, and how much of that? Absorbed, uh, how much of that uh, fluoride absor- uh, absorbed into their body subliminally through the uh, skin in the mouth? Yeah, of, sublingually. Sublingually, right. thank you. Yeah, exactly. the, the oral mucosa, there's a lot of blood that goes there, and uh, you can absorb uh, quite a lot just through your oral tissues. I, I know that for a fact, being mm-hmm. a, a dental assistant for the past 25 years. Well, because there is a blood vessel that goes sublingually right up from right under your tongue to mm-hmm. it right to your heart. And uh, and so, you know, anything that, that goes in your mouth pretty quickly goes to the rest of your bloodstream. And you notice that with certain foods uh, or certainly even essential oils that are more potent, um, that uh, things will go straight to your head. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so I, I want to make sure now, how do we uh, get a religious exemption? Uh, you just go to the health department and go up to the desk and request that DH Blue form number 681. It is the Certificate of Religious Exemption from Immunization from the Health Department. And uh, if and, and, uh, all you people out there with children, do this now. Get this done and, and over with and have it ready. <laughs> because uh, this, cause it's coming down in October, and uh, there's still plenty of time to go down there leisurely and get this so there's not a mad rush and, and they don't try to stop you from doing it uh, for whatever reasons because it's getting so close to the time when they're going to pop this on us. It looks like they're really going to go fully operational with this, guys, and mm-hmm. um, I'm, uh, I'm pretty concerned, but, you know, like I said, uh, the, the kid's coming out if, if that's happening. There's no way I'm going to let her get any more immunization. She already, when, when she was younger, she, um, she got uh, her initial uh, vaccines. You know, I mean, we didn't really know about this back then. Uh, at least uh, my, my now wife didn't know about this stuff back then. And the kid wound up getting colic and having night terrors. And if you guys are familiar with that, night terrors are nightmares uh, while the child is still awake. So they're, they're having a nightmare while they're awake. And um, it's, it's kind of like the exorcist uh, from my uh, wife's description. So uh, oh and don't awful. let your children take any of these immunizations, especially if the government is recommending it and, and they're trying to make it mandatory. Keep your keep your kid out of school. That's just a recommendation from some lay person. But um, if you research this even just a little bit on the web, you're going to find out that this is not a good thing. And definitely go to nbic.org for uh, even more information on this good people. Right. Well, that's where your your educated opinion from where the, uh, it comes, and uh, that's National Vaccination Information um, Center nvic.org that uh, is really up on all, all the latest vaccinations that they are always trying to uh, promote and force on us and it's really sickening how how so many of them have have been tested uh, you know killing the ferrets uh, in Czechoslovakia they, that's how that came about through a whistleblower and saying uh, well oh, right. yeah, surprise yeah. surprise oh, gosh. horrible horrible stories in the um the Baxter, my mother used to work for Baxter. She used to uh, refurbish uh, uh, kidney dialysis uh, machines for them. And um, 
it come come to find out they're involved with this and uh they tried to introduce bird flu uh into uh europe uh and if mm-hmm. it wasn't for that um that czech laboratory checking it out with the ferrets that died all eight of the ferrets they tested it on died i mean who, who knows what we'd be facing right now if they hadn't have done that well even the other point about that uh, thing situation with the ferrets is the instructions they were given was to basically crossbreed the bird flu and regular human flu, which I think is H2N2 or something like that. I forget the specific uh, nomenclature uh, for that. The, the bird flu is H5N1, and the swine flu is uh, H1N1. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not sure about the, the human flu, what its numbers are, but... Uh, it, this is this is stuff that's available if you just uh, kind of tool around on the web a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's just amazing that that we're finding out about um, all this stuff now. I, the, the first I heard that uh, vaccines were bad, although I had my suspicions long ago, was actually on our community radio station WMNF, um, uh, the uh, the health show they had on Monday. Uh, a gal came up with, uh, who was a guest, came up with some information that there's no real proof that vaccines even really do anything. She said polio, when when they came out with the polio vaccine, it was already in decline when they came out with that. And then they touted that it was the vaccine that eradicated. And now, if the vaccine's so great, what are we doing still uh, dealing with polio nowadays? It's, it seems to be making a reemergence, you know? Well, that's also known as meningitis. Yes, yes. I just found that out recently. I was like, oh, really? Well, if you think back when they supposedly eliminated polio, polio disappears, meningitis makes a sudden appearance on the scene, and we've got this medicine to treat it. But the polio, the, the uh, what do you call it, the patents uh, for the treatment of that had run out. And all of a sudden, meningitis shows up, but it's the same thing. So it never went anywhere. We never eradicated it. And if you look back at any of the um, inoculation efforts in world history, every time they've come out with a vaccine, the original cause has already started to wane and it's already burned itself out. So, and on top of that, it's mutated. (laughs) Isn't that amazing how that happens? Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's always something that gains them money plus something else, something that they're aiming for at our expense, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sick of it. But uh, mm-hmm. thanks to shows like yours and all the other shows that you guys reference, um, we're, we're getting ahead of these people. And uh, I think there's a growing awareness. You know, I'm just talking with people on the street, people that come into the dental office, my friends. Everyone has become aware of all this stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, thank goodness for the Internet. Um, if it wasn't for the Internet and all this great deal of information we could get and shows like yours, uh, we'd still be in the dark, and, and who knows where we'd be right now. Right. If anyone listening to this program, either now or later, is uh, trying to find out what you can do in your state to prevent your child from being subjected to that inoculation, I know I was listening to uh, another radio program called The Armchair Survivalist with Kurt Wilson this past weekend, and he mentioned that he was going to try to make available, uh, I guess, to they have, uh, I guess, a forum and I'm looking for it at his website, and I don't see it immediately, so I'm going to have to do a little research on that. But he was mentioned that he would make available a listing per state. I guess you'd have to contact him and email him to find that out. There's a way to do that on his website. You can check that out. And, again, that's the armchairsurvivalist.com. Or arm, armchairsurvivalist.com. Mm-hmm. Without the, the, yeah, just armchairsurvivalist.com. You got it. Ah, uh, that's what it was. That's I tried to reach the website. It's armchairsurvivalist.com. Say, Frank, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, you mentioned you work uh, in the dentist field. Yeah. What, uh, what is required 
for a person to have mercury fillings removed from their teeth by the dentist. Is that an easy procedure? Um, well, it's um, it depends on who you talk to. Um, you, usually a, a dentist uh, will comply with a patient's request uh, uh, to remove them. Uh, most dentists, if, if they're... Um, you know, legit and not out to rip people off, they won't suggest replacing a filling unless there's something wrong with it, like there's some marginal decay mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, it looks like, you know, the tooth is becoming compromised because of it. And there was different kinds of mercury fillings, too, and, and I have to let you guys know I got those uh, mercury amalgam fillings in my teeth. I've got um, uh, about half my teeth are filled with them, but mm -hmm. there, there's different qualities of them, and the ones I got are the ones that don't expand and contract as much as, as some of them that I've seen. Some of them look like they're growing right out of the tooth mm -hmm. uh, because of uh, extreme of temperatures that people, you know, people drink cold water or cold whatever in the summer and hot things in the morning and in the winter. And uh, that expansion, uh, that thermal expansion and contraction is what causes the, the longevity of the filling to become in question. Um, when you're putting the, the filling in, which uh, most dental offices don't even do it anymore, um, quite frankly, yet, but when you're putting it in, that's where the most danger is in um, inhaling the fumes. Uh, they say when you mm -hmm. chew things like nuts or hard to chew things that um, it gives off fumes. And then when you're removing it, it also gives off fumes, but usually when we're removing it, the dental assistant has a suction device that's right close to us. Um, I talked to a, um, a holistic dentist up in, in Clearwater uh, who has a, a special uh, technique or apparatus that he uses to remove, uh, help remove the mercury fillings with minimal exposure to the fumes. I, I don't know if it's that big of a deal to, to worry about it that much because I, I think my brain's working pretty well, mm. even though I've had these in my teeth for a long time. But um, I read uh, in a book somewhere that there's about 5% of the people who cannot tolerate those fillings in their mouths. And, and I've met about three of those over 25 years where they just simply couldn't do it. And once the fillings were taken out and replaced with something else, be it the composite fillings or porcelain inlays or gold inlays, which are the longest-lasting restoration, mm -hmm. uh, believe it or not, because mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, they expand at almost exactly the same rate that teeth do with the thermal uh, expansion and contraction. So that's why you can see a gold crown that's 40 years old or a gold inlay that's 40 years old. Um, but uh, there, there, there's only been a few people I've, I've met over the course of my career that uh, could not tolerate them. And I, I think that if 5% of the population were affected with a disease, they would consider it an epidemic. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's probably not the best thing to put into your teeth, although some dentists say it's still the longest-lasting, most economical filling you can put in someone's teeth. But something tells me that they're... They're eating the crap that the uh, ADA, the American Dental Association, has been shoveling to them, and and they have uh, been part of the eugenics movement. I've come to yeah, find out recently right. since their inception. Yeah, so. at least they finally just came out and uh, against mercury fillings a couple of years ago. Um, I know there are, are environmental dentists who will do just what you say is take out the uh, fillings with um, something that will uh, suck up all the vapors also. But those amalgams, um, uh, since uh, we were talking about uh, selenium uh, binding or mercury binding with selenium in, in the last hour, then uh, I was that reminded me that uh, the body also <clears throat> confuses calcium 
uh, how appropriate, uh, what, what minerals would be more appropriate that uh, mercury would um, be misrecognized and uh, misabsorbed by the, the body um, or can, uh, mistaken, I, I mean, for, uh, for mercury. So, uh, so if you want to, um, if you wanted to get those taken out, and uh, you took something like uh, that uh, calcium I've uh, mentioned before, the MCHC or MCHA, uh, microcrystalline hydroxyapatite, and uh, if you do a Google of either one of MCHA or MCHC, you'll find it on Google. Uh, that will increase your bone density, and and there's even a way to remineralize your teeth with that and uh, fulvic acid. Um, there are different things, different products I've I've been reading about like uh, fulvic acid in the MCHA or uh, this special type of German toothpaste called Elmex uh, has some studies on it to remineralize the teeth also. Yes, and uh, there's a, also a product that's available here in the States which you can usually get at a dental office. It's called MI paste and it's got calcium phosphate in it. But this stuff, according to uh, the uh, the representative that presented it to us is, is the real deal. It strengthens the tooth from the inside out. The rods that make up our, our uh, dentition, really our teeth are just a bunch of compressed rods that lead to the pulp. And um, it, it strengthens them from the inside all the way to the outside. So you got a, a totally strong tooth, whereas fluoride does make the teeth harder, but only on the outside surface. So it's kind of like an eggshell hardness, where mm-hmm. if something breaches that, it, it gets soft after that, or much softer, and it's able to progress much more rapidly. So the, uh, the calcium phosphate is uh, apparently a good thing to put on your teeth. So it sounds like the uh, initial effort of using the fluoride uh, swish or toothpaste is actually making your teeth worse. Because it's allowing it to be uh, subjective. So, you know, it's, it's like putting a, a, a thin veneer over something and letting it continue to rot under that veneer. Yeah, and um, I, I guess that's one aspect of it. Uh, I, I worked with a dentist once who um, gave his kids not only uh, fluoride treatments in the mouth, but also fluoride pills. And they, of oh. course, wound up with the fluorosis or, you know, it's called fluoridosis sometimes where the, the teeth are uh, pocked with white spots and become brittle which uh, I guess with uh, the, the treatments you guys discussed and the one I, I mentioned, uh, it can make it better. But, yeah, you shouldn't be ingesting fluoride, uh, especially this um, fluoride that they got in the water, which we talked about a couple of shows mm-hmm. ago. I mean, if it's coming from industrial slag from the phosphate mines, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that's fluoride. a drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. It's, yeah, all sorts it's, of heavy metals. Like, um, I liken it to sunblock. You know, if you smear sunblock on your skin, it works really good and you don't get sunburn. Well, if you put fluoride on your teeth, yeah, it works pretty good, but you shouldn't be drinking it, just like you shouldn't be drinking sunblock to get well, the effect that, that you uh, want, which is, you know, not to get a sunburn or not to get decay. Well, I think the real real cause is uh, sedation. I mean, why else would you want to get medicated for free um, yeah. gosh, by your own government? I mean, gosh, they don't, don't they care for us to, to keep us all relaxed and calm? Don't yeah, the, panic. The, the Germans <laughs> and the Italians, uh, or I should say the rulers, found that out from the Russians, uh, that you put fluoride in the water and... Hey, they settle down a bit. The the people in the prison don't riot as much, and things are a lot easier to maintain. So, uh, yeah, they are docilizing us through the uh, water system, and uh, uh, they've they've now got license to to go to four parts per million. The the dose 
has been um, allowed to go up that high, although uh, from the last calls that I, I made about eight months ago, it's still under two parts per million in, in all the places that I, that I called up, Clearwater, Largo, St. Petersburg, and, um, and strangely enough, Pinellas Park said they don't have fluoride in their water, which um, hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of dubious about that. Yeah, they, what are they doing? Why are they skimping? Maybe their water is naturally fluoridated. <laughs> Uh, wait a minute, because the other towns are doing it for them. Yeah, yeah you know, I thought it was a county-wide water system, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about how, how they're able to do that. But um, Yeah, I did too. Uh, yeah, go with the reverse osmosis uh, filtration, distilled uh, filtration. There's a lot of different ways to get your water clean, all you people out there. And, um, hey, you guys, mm-hmm. thanks thanks for another great show. I really, this, this is my favorite local show now because of all the great information wow, uh, you're bringing to the airwaves. Well, thanks. thanks, Frank. Thanks for making it so much better. You take care. All right. Take it easy, man. And uh, we're going to continue this article that uh, we were uh, just reading when, when Frank called in from attorneyatlaw.com entitled, Don't Even Think About Suing If You're Hurt by Swine Flu Vaccines. And uh, continuing with the article uh, we just mentioned, I'm just going to repeat uh, the last paragraph. Um, here we're uh, uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services. Kathleen Sebelius, uh, yes, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Kathleen Sebelius, has granted drug companies immunity from swine flu injuries under provisions of a 2006 law designed to be used in public health emergencies. The legal protection is included in a document Sebelius signed last week, according to government health officials cited in news reports. Several drug companies are said to be working on developing vaccines to guard against swine flu, and doses are expected to be ready for patients in the next few months. Authorities have said millions of Americans, particularly children, the frail and elderly, and those with weakened immune systems, are most at risk of developing severe problems of infected, if infected may be vaccinated against the 2009 H1N1 influenza virus beginning later this year. Swine flu emerged from Mexico earlier this year and has killed 263 Americans and infected as many as 1 million, most with mild to moderate symptoms. Health officials are bracing for an expected spike in such cases this fall. Treating vaccine makers with kid gloves. Makers of childhood vaccines have been shielded from lawsuits since the 1980s. If federal court handles such claims and decides which patients will be compensated for their injuries from a fund set up for just such cases. The idea is if you give vaccine makers immunity from lawsuits filed for injuries caused by the drugs, the companies will be more willing to invest money and time in developing the vaccines. Conversely, allowing future patients to file suit for injuries caused by swine flu vaccines could have a chilling effect on drug companies and discourage them from even trying to develop and market the medications, which tend to be the least profitable drug drugs companies can make. Oh, God forbid they should ever stop making vaccines. Mm. None of them, uh, in my opinion, I can't find one that's been proven safe or uh, one that's without uh, poisonous adjectants or some other kind of a live virus, uh, unannounced get or uninvited guest, you, you might say, like the SV40, you're talking about the polio vaccine or uh, you know, the SV40 vaccine, uh, a simian virus 
Simian virus, yeah. 40, a, a cancer uh, virus that, uh, that um, you know, when your hormonal rate, uh, hormonal um, level reaches uh, about uh, when you're 50 years old, then uh, it'll trigger itself. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a, it's a virus-caused cancer. Well, people can do a uh, Google search or um, YouTube or whichever video method you choose there and do a search on Dr. Len Horowitz. And he mm-hmm. has a video called In Lies We Trust. And in that video, he actually plays a clip of the doctor who, quote, invent- discovered AIDS. The same doctor who a few years before was working for the Army Biological Research Lab. And what was he working on? A... a um, they were looking for an autoimmune weapon to be used for certain types of people. Mm-hmm. The 1969 congressional record that, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just do a Google of synthetic biological agents. Yep. And it's uh, something that was requested and they received funding for uh, $10 million. The Par- Department of Defense received in 1970. Um, the it, blessings of Kissinger. Right. <laughs> And in Brzezinski, he, it's interesting that he wrote in his book, I believe the title was The Grand Chessboard, that uh, he, he also yeah. talked about making new diseases. So it, the timing was just perfect. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, well, look, let's consider just the basic concept of the, the uh, vaccine. For you're, you're taking a poison, supposedly minimizing its effect, but it's still a poison. You're slapping it into a human being, and that's going to cause something good. On its face, that's just false. But then when you consider that the, the, the way they come about getting that vaccine, you take a known pathogen, stick it in an animal, mm-hmm. let that animal ha- come down with the illness. You culture either the, the pus or whatever it is from the animal, and you try to then say, oh, well, let's take it, stick it in another animal, get a antibody from that, and then we'll culture that. Wrong. It doesn't. That's just. I mean, we, on its we, face, we it's bad. And we don't even need a religious exemption. But under those grounds, that uh, that would apply. Just the biological grounds. You don't mm-hmm. want it. I mean, if you're a Buddhist, you're against uh, sacrificing animals. Or if you're a vegan, these are grounds that you don't need ah, a re- you know, truly religious exemption. Well, some would call Buddhism philosophical, but the the point is that I, I forgot to cover when Frank was on uh, on the phone mm-hmm. was that. Uh, is that we don't need this exemption, but yet it exists. We don't need an exemption if it does not apply because uh, there is no law that applies that says that your child has to be vaccinated. They'll just say, as we, we covered the truant, they'll uh, say they'll charge your, you uh, with truancy or your child with truancy and mm-hmm. say that uh, he, you know, for him not being allowed in school because of a non-existent law, then, uh, then you know we're going to charge the parents for for uh, not vaccinating him, mm-hmm. or for it's not really not for vaccinating him; it's for not showing up at school when they disallowed the child from uh, attending in the first place. Um, now back to this article uh, regarding the swine flu at uh, attorneyatlaw.com entitled "Don't Even Think About Suing If You're Hurt by Swine Flu Vaccines." 2009. It's not 1976. During an outbreak of swine flu in 1976, about 40 million people in the United States rolled up their shirt sleeves to get vaccinated as part of a nationwide campaign. The outbreak started among soldiers at Fort Dix, New Jersey, and led to one death. But it also raised fears of a larger deadly pandemic like the influenza outbreak of 1918 and 1919 that killed about 100 million people worldwide. Also emanating from Fort Detrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both times. Government oh, well, Fort Detrick was Maryland. This one's New Jersey. 
Right. And it's, it's just strange how uh, we always get these uh, flus originating from government facilities. And, uh, and the soldiers, the troops, the, uh, the guinea pigs, unfortunately. <coughs> the feared pandemic of deadly swine flu never happened in 1976. But thousands of people who got shots filed lawsuits claiming they developed Guillain-Barre syndrome, a condition which causes muscle paralysis, and suffered other side effects as a result. The government was forced to pay many people damages for their vaccination injuries. And speaking of Guillain-Barre syndrome, that was one of the conditions, one of the diseases that colostrum is uh, effective at treating, according to the clinical studies in the books that I cited in the uh, last show. Uh, but uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome uh, being caused by the vaccinations or uh, whether, it, uh, whether it's the vac vaccination or the flu itself, colostrum uh, seems to be a very effective supplement to have on on hand and um, even if you are a vegan since colostrum is from a cow I, I would recommend that you just break this break your uh, rule just this once and have some colostrum on hand and take it if you ever uh, if you ever need feel the need to it's really a great thing to a uh, miracle supplement or a, a superfood I'd, I'd encourage everybody to have uh, it might save your life Actually, no. there's also another good possible reason to steer away from uh, the meat eating uh, that we're used to, and that is what they're now getting authorized to do. I mean, some of the beef beef providers are no they're they're steering away from inspection if you just spray it with a bacteria. How do you uh, how do you how do you justify that? You're gonna spray it the beef down already whatever the meat is with some kind of a bacteria that's going to kill all the other bacteria it's still a bacteria well it's a virus that eats the bacteria yeah right infects the bacteria and then they oh they wash it off is what they claim well that's a that's a whole nother issue but it's what's going on in our food and it's not it doesn't have to be labeled like uh, a lot of things in our food. Can you possibly cook it enough to kill those viri? I don't know. Uh, that's a good point. Maybe uh, something like oil of oregano is effective well, yeah. even against prions. But, uh, yeah, that's That's a good point. Um, well, getting back to this article, uh, as uh, as for the, uh, the government being uh, forced to pay many people damages for their vaccination injuries, that won't be happening with the 2009 outbreak. People who get the shots to protect them from the swine flu will have no legal recourse against the makers of the vaccines, which has some personal injury attorneys crying foul. New York City plaintiff's attorney, Paul Pen Pennock, who handles medical liability cases, says the government is expected to call on millions of people to get vaccinated in order to keep swine flu from spreading. But those people will not have legal rights to sue if they are injured or killed as a result. Quote, if you're going to ask people to do this for the common good, then let's make sure for the common good that these people will be taken care of if something goes wrong. And quote, Pennock said, according to a report on MSNBC.com, who is the government protecting? As the government extends blanket legal immunity to makers of swine flu vaccines, you have to wonder... Who are Sibelius and health officials trying to protect? It's clear they have the financial interest of drug companies in mind. But what about patients? Potentially millions of people may be urged to get vaccinated later this year, but will they do so knowing they and their loved ones have no legal rights to sue the vaccine maker if they suffer an injury or die as a result? 
So uh, it's an interesting uh, um, problem, uh, catch-22 we have. Uh, mm-hmm. If these vaccines are mandatory and there's no liability, well, we have every reason in the world to doubt their uh, safety. And uh, we also, of course, doubt their efficacy. And uh, we're more likely to come down from all history, uh, we're all more likely to come down with the disease that we're being given the cure to prevent. Uh, the shots or the vaccination that mm-hmm. were given the uh, the uh, immunization to supposedly given the immunization to prevent more people come down with the disease and that's how the disease is, is uh, most often spread another uh, point to consider there is I've, uh, I forget where it was I heard this uh, one of the sources that I listened to it probably was Alex Jones or something they are putting into a new bill the prospect of um deputizing anybody with a right to carry permit in the different states to have them act as guards at the vaccination locations. That's mm-hmm. just going to add a whole other element of trouble if that does go through and if that's what they do. Uh, but I know we have some video clips to uh, go through. So, All right. Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to uh, shift over now uh, to a new topic, and uh, we're going to talk about the Federal Reserve. If you'd like to call in here in Pinellas County, the phone number is 727-441-3000. Toll free, the number is 866-826-1340. That's 866-826-1340. The website is liberationstation.weebly.com. Liberationstation.weebly.com, and Weebly is spelled W-E-E-B as in boy, L-Y, and uh, if you could queue up, um, if you don't already have it, I, we're going to go out of order here since we're running out of time. Um, I don't know if you already have queued up uh, clip number, uh, let's go with clip number five. Um, if you have that of uh, Alan Grayson questioning Ben Bernanke, is that uh, available? Or uh, I'll introduce that if, uh, if it's not immediately available. Well, uh, what we have here is Representative Alan Grayson making some uh, or forcing Ben Bernanke, the Federal Reserve Chairman, uh, making him squirm and making him admit that, uh, okay, uh, we'll get that clip played. Um, having uh, Ben Bernanke admit that uh, these uh, the transfer of credit to a foreign bank is not an extraordinary emergency power. And uh, and uh, let's see here. And he's actually a Florida representative. It's precious. I watched this right. this this afternoon. I was like, oh mm-hmm. yes, finally a representative from Florida we can actually trust, or oh, at yeah. least on this issue. Right. I don't know he, much more about the man. So yeah, he's he's been on the floor of Congress before, doing some good questioning on uh, Federal Reserve officials. Uh, that's on the finance page of the website. There, uh, there's a, a YouTube clip on there also, but. Um, this is Al, Representative Alan Grayson uh, getting Ben Bernanke to admit, and you'll notice where Ben Bernanke says, quote, we have a longstanding legal authority to do swaps with other central banks, meaning other foreign central banks. It's not an emergency authority of any kind, end quote, said Bernanke. So uh, this in mind, I, I want you to uh, hear this clip and, and keep in mind the fact that under Executive Order 6102, which uh, also confiscated gold, as explained in the uh, 1973 Senate report, that's Senate Report 93-549, 
Senate Report 93-549 explains that a declared state of national emergency has existed since March 9, 1933, shortly before the 20-year sunset provision of the Federal Reserve Act was going to occur. The state of national emergency has been renewed every year in an executive order under various pretexts by every puppet president. So with that in mind, uh, we'll just play that clip. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Chairman Renaki, I'm looking at the report that you handed out this morning, uh, and I was wondering if you could take your copy and turn to page 26. Uh, there's a table on page 26 which uh, consists of your balance sheet and one of the entries on the balance sheet is under assets central bank liquidity swaps which shows an increase uh, from the end of 2007 from 24 billion dollars to 553 billion dollars in change at the end of 2008 what's that those are swaps that were done with foreign central banks many um Many foreign banks are, are short dollars, and so they come into our markets looking for dollars and drive up interest rates and create volatility in our markets. What we have done is, with a number of major central banks, like the European Central Bank, for example, we swap our currency dollars for their currency, euros. They take the dollars, lend it out to the banks in their, in their jurisdiction. That helps bring down interest rates in the global market for dollars. And meanwhile, we're not lending to those banks. We're lending to the central bank. The central bank is responsible for repaying us. So who got the money? To financial institutions in, in Europe and other countries. Which ones? I don't know. Half a trillion dollars, and you don't know who got the money? Uh, the, loan went to the, the loans go to the central banks, and they, they then put them out to their, um, to their institutions to try to bring down short-term interest rates in dollar markets around the world. Well, let's start with which central banks got the money. There are 14 of them, which are listed um, in our, I'm sure they're listed in here somewhere. All right. So who actually made that decision to hand out a trillion dollars that way, half a trillion dollars? Who made that decision? The Federal Open Market Committee. Okay. And was it done at one time or in a series of meetings? A series of meetings. And under what legal authority? We have a long-standing legal authority to do swaps with other central banks. It's not, it's, not an emergency, it's not an emergency authority of any kind. Anything specific about it? Um, do you know the... My counsel says Section 14 of the General, Federal Reserve Act. All right. We, we actually looked at one of the arrangements, and one of the arrangements is $9 billion for New Zealand. That works out to $3,000 for every single person who lives in New Zealand. Seriously, wouldn't it have be been better to extend that kind of credit to Americans rather than New Zealanders? It's, it's not uh, costing Americans anything. We're getting interest back and it comes back. It's not at the cost of any American credit. We are extending credit to Americans. Well, couldn't it, it, wouldn't it necessarily affect the credit markets if you extend a half a trillion dollars in, in credit to anybody? We are lending to all U.S. financial institutions in exactly the same way. Well, look at the next page. The very next page has the U.S. dollar nominal exchange rate, which shows a 20% increase in the U.S. dollar nominal exchange rate at exactly the same time that you were handing out half a trillion dollars. Do you think that's a coincidence? 
Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, the Constitution says no money shall be drawn from the Treasury but in consequence of appropriations made by law. This money think, is not drawn from the Treasury. Let, well, let's talk about that. Do you think it's consistent with the spirit of that provision in the Constitution for a group like the FMOC to hand out a half a trillion dollars to foreigners without any action by this Congress? Congress approved it in the Federal Reserve Act. When was that? Quite a long time ago. I don't know the exact date. Uh, I think 19, years ago? The original act is 1914, I believe. I don't know whether this provision was in 1914 or not, but the Federal Reserve Act was in 1913. All right, and at that time, the entire gross national product of this country was well under half a trillion dollars, wasn't it? I don't know. Is it safe to say that nobody in 1913 contemplated that your small little group of people would decide to hand out half a trillion dollars to foreigners? This, this, uh, this particular authority has been used um, numerous times over the years. Well, actually, according to the chart on page 28, uh, the, virtually the entire amount that's reflected in your current balance sheet went out starting in the last quarter of 2007. And before that, going back to the beginning um, of this chart, the amount of lending was zero to foreigners. Is that it was zero before statement? the crisis, yeah. This was, this was part of the process working with other central banks to, um, again, to try to get uh, dollar money markets working normally in the global economy. All right, my time is very limited. The gentleman's, uh, time, limited is, the gentleman's time is expired. The gentleman <laughs> from you, New York. Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. And now we're going to play Dennis Kuss, Representative Dennis Kucinich uh, grilling the former Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson and making that worm squirm because uh, it's really entertaining. We're going to play that and uh, get back next week into some of the other clips. Uh, I think we're only going get to get to play this clip and maybe one other tonight. Mm -hmm. I have a total of, uh, of six, so uh, maybe two tonight for next week. But um, this uh, Fed Love Fest is going to continue next week. And uh, at the moment, we're, this is going to be, uh, we're going to play Dennis Kucinich uh, talking to the former secretary, um, Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson and uh, making him use some multisyllabic words and stutter at the same time. <laughs> now you five minutes of the gentleman from Ohio, Mr. Kucinich. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Secretary Paulson, in your testimony, you justify telling Mr. Lewis that the government might remove Bank of America management if they terminated the deal to acquire Merrill Lynch. <clears throat> Excuse me. You state, quote, such an action would show a colossal lack of judgment and would jeopardize Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and the financial system, unquote. Secretary, yeah. if a lack of management judgment merits decisive governmental action, what about potential violations of the law? Mr. Paulson, were you aware of concerns felt at the Fed and Treasury that Ken Lewis's, Ken Lewis's management team failed to do due diligence in acquiring Merrill Lynch and possibly violated securities laws by withholding material information from his shareholders to get the vote for the merger with Merrill. I, I was, I've, I've become aware 
uh, from some of the emails that this committee has uh, released and other documents. Did you know at that time? That there were concerns. And I, I, I know that there were some concerns. At that time, by, did you know, by, Mr. Secretary? By staff members, some concerns at that time as to whether how, uh, you know, along the lines of what you expressed on due diligence. I had not heard uh, concerns at that time about uh, securities laws. Now, Chairman Bernanke testified here that he shared those concerns about Bank of America's management. Did you share the concerns with anyone? Uh, in terms of concerns about Bank of America's management, here's what I would say about management. That, and uh, Congressman, I have been involved and was involved in at least three situations when I was at Treasury where CEOs were replaced. Fannie, Freddie, AIG. Did, well, uh, let me ask you this on that point. Did, did in 2008, did you ever inform the management of any systemically significant bank that they would be forced out for any reason? Well, I would say this. Here's, here's the calculus. You have to ask yourself, is this management capable of running the firm? And is there someone else there that, or someone else you know of that can do a better job? And I, I would say that these large, complex financial institutions are not easy to run, and it's not easy to find strong people to run them during a financial crisis. Well, you know, I just want to say this, Mr. Paulson, and we have a limited time here, so I, I you know, appreciate you answering these questions. The investigators of this committee have reviewed tens of thousands of pages, including notes of conversations you participated in, where the federal response to Bank of America's problems was crafted. These documents clearly show that you were an advocate of aggressive fiscal response. You advocated for a large cash injection, a very large asset protection plan. But nowhere in these documents did we find evidence that you advocated for holding Bank of America's management accountable for failing to do due diligence and for, for withholding potentially material information from shareholders. So, uh, Mr. Secretary, did you, in fact, advocate for requiring such accountability as a condition of the bailout you were developing? I advocated the accountability we put in place, which was we treated Bank of America like Citigroup. Uh, we treated them differently than those that went to the TARP the first time. So we had uh, tougher restrictions on executive comp, and we had uh, provisions on foreclosure mitigation. But in terms of re replacing uh, the, the, the CEO in this situation, it was that it was my judgment, and it was a judgment of the regulator that that it was appropriate to keep Mr. Lewis. Uh, it was that this is a decision that's made by the board of directors, and for well, for regulators to come in and decide to replace them, we didn't think that was appropriate. Now, Mr. Paulson, as you know, invoking the MAC, however ill-considered it would have been, was not against the law. Meanwhile, Bank of America's decision to withhold material information about a merger from shareholders and their failure to do due diligence are potential violations of law. Perhaps you can explain to this committee how a Secretary of the Treasury can justify punishing an unwise but lawful act while ignoring potentially illegal ones. Well, 
in, in terms of leg legality. Could, could you speak closer to the mic? Yeah, I, I would say in terms of legality, I, I think that's, I, I'm not, I, I certainly don't feel qualified to, to, to sit here and opine on whether, uh, whether there was an illegal action. And I, I certainly have not, uh, not seen evidence of, a, of, of an illegal action, and that is in, in terms of the, the relationship between B of A and, and, and uh, the, the, the capital markets and uh, the relationship between B of A and the SEC, I think that's, that, that's, that's a matter for others to opine on. Uh, thank you, Mr. I now yield to the ranking member, Mr. Jordan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um. Well, that was just amazing to hear former Secretary of the Treasury, Hank Paulson, squirm by Dennis Kucinich, who's a hero. We all need to pray for him and congressmen like him. Hank Paulson, who admitted to benefiting $200,000 and the White House signed off on it as not being a conflict of interest, so it was okay. Well, that's one of his admissions, and now Kucinich is grilling him, thank God. You've been listening to Liberation Station with Chris Steiner, liberationstation.weebly.com. Thanks for joining us. Take great care. Here I am,